Hello listeners, this is Matt from Uncanny Treks, and I want to take a moment to tell you about our brand new Patreon at patreon.com slash uncannytreks. On our Patreon, we offer lots of exclusive content in multiple tiers, including access to our brand new Patreon-exclusive podcast, X-Men 92 vs. Young Justice. On this podcast, we follow the same format as B5 vs. DS9, but with an entirely new focus on reliving the nostalgia of 90s X-Men animated series and comparing it to the fast-paced action of Young Justice. Both of these animated series have recently been renewed for new seasons, so we felt it was a great time to return to these two comic book-based properties. If you're interested in subscribing, please visit us at patreon.com slash uncannytreks, and you can always reach out to us on Twitter at uncannytreks. Enjoy the show, and as always... Thank you for listening. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the galaxy's most retro-futuristic podcast. That's right. It's Legion of Superheroes versus Star Trek Strange New Worlds. We're here covering Season 1, Episode 2 of both episodes. We are part of Uncanny Treks on Patreon. I am Bob in Cascadia. That is Matt in the Southland. How you doing tonight, Matt? Doing pretty well. Uh, Strange New Worlds turned out fantastic. Everything I've wanted out of a Star Trek series for a very long time. And I'm kind of liking the Legion of Superheroes thing, Bob. Uh, if I could be honest, after the first episode, I was like, this seems kind of like a kiddie show, but it, it, it's, it's weighing on me. It's, it's getting better. All right. That's good. That's good. We'll, we'll, we'll see where it goes, how you like it, where it goes. Um, so today we're covering Timberwolf, the second episode of The Legion. Originally aired on the 30th of September uh, 2006. And then we're uh, checking out Children of the Comet, which is the newest Strange New Worlds episode that just aired on the 12th of May, 2022. You want to walk us through the uh, A-plot of Timberwolf, Matt, which you know, coincidentally is the only plot? Yeah. So the Legion gets summoned to the planet Rowl by distress signal from Dr. Marlando, only to discover he and his drones are experimenting on the planet's indigenous monsters and his own son, Timberwolf. So, uh, does uh, Timberwolf look familiar, Matt? Yeah, I collected a lot of those DC trading cards back in the day, in the early 90s. Do you remember those? I do, I do. There's even a Twitter account that I, we used to follow, I don't know if it's still around, that like tweets out one of those a day. It's a cool account. Yeah. That D- remember- DC Cosmic Cards, I think they're called? Possibly, I don't remember. I should they have like a Golden Age version of each character, a Silver Age, and like a Modern Age. So you had that like, was only like the first like ten or so, and then they just kind of went into like you know one card per character, right? So, but yeah, I just remember Timberwolf from that specific uh, card series. Okay, that's that's interesting. I I didn't remember he was in it. Um, probably the reason for that because I don't think they put the rest of the Legion on those cards. But there was a brief time in the early '90s when uh, Timberwolf was like in the present DC universe. Uh, there was a miniseries about it. Uh, honestly, it wasn't very good. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he, he's he's one of the rare Legionnaires who's spent a, a decent amount of time in the 20th uh, century. I, I, I was kind of asking for a slightly different reason. Does he remind you of any other characters, maybe? Yeah, the costume design looks similar to something you'd see like with the X-Men. Yeah, yeah. And maybe in behavior, does he remind you of a certain X-Men? Uh, maybe Wolverine a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's pretty commonly accepted that like Wolverine was inspired by Timberwolf. So, Although, yeah. oh, not the other way around. 
No, 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 because uh, Timberwolf was created in the 60s. Uh, oh, wow, was okay. created in the early 70s. Yeah. Yeah. And then, do you remember in the Phoenix Saga, like in the comics, when you have uh, the Imperial Guard, and, you know, they're fighting, like, the X-Men on that planet for the Imkron Crystal, and I think it's the Phoenix Saga, or the, maybe it's the Brood Saga I'm thinking of, but um, Wolverine knocks out a member of the Imperial Guard who's named Fang. Oh, yes. You know what? I'm kind of thinking maybe I've seen Fang before and not Timberwolf. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because their outfits are very similar, and you know how Marvel puts out, like, action figures of every character in the world, and I do remember there being a Fang, yes. Or maybe you've seen, like, a Wolverine as Fang action figure. Yes. Yeah, so you know how every member of the Imperial Guard, at least all the original members, are, like, rip-offs of Legion of Superheroes members. Yeah, you told me that before. Yeah, yeah. So Fang is the ripoff of Timberwolf. So it's kind of funny because it's like two different ripoff characters of Wolver- of uh, Timberwolf, excuse me, and then Wolverine dressing as the other. There's just a kind of nice little meta joke there. <laughs> yeah, that okay, that makes more sense because I do remember the outfit. That's the thing. It has that like, it looks like an X-Men uniform, but it's two shades of brown. Yeah, 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 totally, totally. Um, I, I'm looking uh, on the Wikipedia, and it says that Wolverine kills Fang in Uncanny X-Men number 162. Presumably that's the Brood Saga one, and pro- probably in that issue or the next issue is where Wolverine is prancing around in the Fang outfit. Okay. Yeah. Well, that, that, that's, a, that's kind of a little mind... Not a, I, guess a, I guess a mind fuck there, because I really thought that they were the same character. <laughs> so did you have any uh, thoughts on uh, Mortsack at the beginning of uh, the episode, swallowing some ships? Yeah, I think it's really gross, but uh, Superman seems to take care of it rather like efficiently. But I'm kind of wondering about the treatment of like those kind of creatures. It seems like a, it would be like a wild space animal. And they should just be like throwing it out of its habitat, and like, <laughs> like, it, like it just wants to eat. I mean, I hate. I, I, it's sad. Like you figure they try to find some alternative way for it to survive, but no, they just take its mouth tentacle things and tie them up and launch it into space. Yeah, it needs a, it needs a roomy enclosure and a, a lot of stimulation. <laughs> yeah, <it> just, <laughs> yeah. That's actually a kind of common thing, especially in the '60s Legion comics. Is they deal with like a lot of monsters and a lot of kaiju, you know, like yeah. monsters and kaiju had been really popular like before superheroes in the late fifties comics. And that sort of kind of carries over to the Legion. So, I mean, they have some supervillains, but a lot of the early Legion stories is like them messing around with monsters on different planets. And so uh, I don't think Mortzak is in the comics, but he, he well might a, a character like him or a creature like him well might've been also, did you hear Mortzak make a cry or say anything? I, I didn't know. I didn't hear it say anything. Yeah, yeah. So the 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 wiki uh, for this episode says that he was making the cry Tika Lee, uh, which I didn't hear either. But I'm not sure if like we missed that or if the wiki guy is just being cute. Um, that's the sound that the creepy white birds and the very racistly depicted natives uh, both make in uh, Edgar Allan Poe's novel Arthur Gordon Pym, which is. A really wild and interesting novel, despite being pretty racist. So, you know, if people are into that sort of thing, uh, and by that sort of thing, I mean 19th century literature, not racism, uh, you should check it out. <laughs> Thanks for that clarification, Bob. Yeah. You, usually you don't get one without the other, though. So, I mean, that's just kind of how it goes. Yeah. All right. So, are you creeped out at all by uh, Brainiac 5's extendable robot neck? 
Yeah, I think it's the way it's drawn because it doesn't extend like a robot you would expect, like with the like parachuting type flexy thing. It's more like yeah, yeah. it's like a Mr. Fantastic type of stretch. It just, just looks gross. Well, if you had to compare, would you think like the Mr. Fantastic like flesh stretch or like Brainiac Five like metal stretching like flesh, which is which is more disturbing? I mean, to start, to me, it looks creepy. Brainiac Five doing the Mr. Fantastic type of stretch. Okay, I so guess it's, it's just, just a mix. It's just the mix is what makes it creepy to you. Yeah, if you're gonna draw a character and make him look like he's a robot, I would expect you to have that like you know, the flex thing, not not the Mr. Fantastic stretch. Okay, okay. And so we have Superman and uh, Lightning Lad um, here in a kind of awkward machismo off. And then we also have uh, Brainy and Bouncing Boy in a little bit of a machismo off. So, uh, you know, A, poor Saturn girl. And B, uh, between those two pairs, who would you say has the more awkward machismo off? I think Superman and Lightning Lad, because he's supposed to be, you know, Lightning Lad's supposed to be training Superman. But he obviously doesn't need training in, like, the area that they're talking about. This all, like, fighting, throwing around, you know, using Superman's strength to stop a monster type thing. I feel like Brainiac 5 is being written as, like, a Spock-like character. And therefore, him not being able to understand how he socially put off a uh, bouncing boy seems to fit just his character. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a little bit of, like, showing off between Bouncing Boy and Brainiac 5, but, yeah, it's a lot more, maybe more of a misunderstanding, whereas Superboy and Lightning Lad, especially, are just trying to see who the alpha male is. It's it's kind of interesting. So, like, Saturn Girl, Lightning Lad, and Cosmic Boy, who you've only seen in a, as a picture, he's the guy in the purple, if you remember that, are the three founders of the Legion. They're, like, they first appear in the first appearance. And you could broadly, like, relate them to, um, you know, Cosmic Boy has a lot of characteristics like Cyclops, uh, Lightning Lad, all, even though Timberwolf is the actual, like, model in terms of bestiality and, uh, and dress, um, Lightning Lad, you could, uh, you know, say personality-wise a lot like Wolverine, and then obviously Saturn Girl has a fair amount of similarities to Jean Grey, not just stopping with powers. And so it's kind of interesting that, like, Lightning Lad and uh, Saturn Girl is the big, one of the big, like, will-they-won't-they they romances of the Legion, which is a kind of interesting contrast to uh, X-Men, where mostly it's been Cyclops and Jean Grey and Wolverine on the outside, but lately it's been the delightful thruple. So, I don't know, it's just a kind of funny contrast. Well, I thought interesting about Saturn Girl, too, when you make that comparison to Jean Grey, is she has the, uh, the healing coma. I like that explanation. Ah, yes, yes. <laughs> uh, I think that's a good explanation of what happens to Jean Grey and Saturn Girl all the time. They just they have to go into a healing coma because they've used their powers to an extreme extent. Yeah, yeah. Although, again, I got, I got to speak up for the uh, last couple of years of Jean Grey comics. In uh, X-Men Red and in, and in X-Force, uh, she's been a really formidable character. I've really enjoyed her. So recently they figured out how to write Jean. It's just uh, long before they had not. And, you know, mostly she was dead for the 21st century, so that <laughs> didn't <Yeah>. contribute either. <laughs> uh, so with Saturn Girl, you know, her eyes match her uh, pink Saturn earrings. Is that cute or creepy? Yeah, it's, it's kind of cute. Okay, okay. And then, do you get uh, kind of big Beauty and the Beast vibes off Saturn Girl and Timberwolf in this episode? Uh, yeah, I didn't really know what Timberwolf was going to do with her, considering he, like, eviscerated everyone else he meets, so. I mean, <laughs> a little bit of like, suspense. Yeah, little yeah bit it's of kind, suspense. Of, kind of weird, but yeah. 
You ever seen the uh, French uh, Beauty and the Beast from 1946? No. Very good, very good. I, w I would say the best version of that uh, story. Uh, sorry, Disney. Um, <laughs> so <but> Disney. I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They do, they do. You know, the reasons that Florida is going to strip away uh, all their corporate rights are, are ridiculous, but I hope they do it. It, it would be hilarious. <laughs> and then I think it was Bouncing Boy who said this, but I rather enjoyed the line, perhaps if I think hard enough, Saturn Girl can detect my thoughts. <laughs> so have you ever read Island of Dr. Moreau? Yeah, it's like a very long time ago, but I can see there's a connection with the dude and his like menagerie of scary monsters. Yeah, yeah, clearly Timberwolf's father is Dr. Uh, Moreau. I actually never have, nor have I seen any of the big movies, although I know there's like a wild one where Brando plays Dr. Moreau that came out, I think, in the late 90s that people say is like bad but really interesting. Yeah, that's the one with uh, Val the Kilmer too, Batman. Yeah, Val Kilmer, yeah. Also, let me just point out to the dude's name, the doctor's name in this is Londo, Marlondo, which I think is hilarious since, you know, with our B5 stuff. Like, you, yeah, you just yeah. never expect anybody to be named Londo, but we now we have like two characters. <laughs> Although, yeah, he, here it's a surname for Timberwolf and his dad, yeah, whereas it's a, it's a given name for Londo Malari over on our Babylon 5 versus a DS9 podcast. And then any thoughts about, we get a, a bunch of Legion uh, computer screen cameos as Timberwolf takes his oath to join the Legion. Yeah, sadly, I didn't have a single clue of who any of them were. <laughs> I didn't recognize any of them. Fair, fair. <laughs> you'll, you'll, you'll get some sense of it. I felt like a Lightning Lad played like a more interesting role this time around compared to the first episode. I found the scene where he rescues Saturn Girl, and she's in like that healing coma I was talking about. She wakes up and isn't very keen on him holding her. So you can tell, like, somewhat, he's somewhat hurt and thinks that Saturn Girl is kind of ungrateful for the rescue. There's, there's more to his character than, than what we see yeah. just being an well, alpha male type jackass. Well, he also, though, kind of does come off as a bit of a jackass and, like, how he, like, burst in and, like, makes the situation a bit worse than yeah. it was. Like, he comes in a little too hot. Yeah. But yeah. I'm, I'm sure that's just his thing. He's a hothead. Yeah, yeah. So it goes. So it Probably because he's a lightning lad. Hell, I mean, that's, you know, you can't buy that kind of character development, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Do you want to walk us through the uh, A-plot of uh, Strange New Worlds, Children of the Comet? All right. Strange New Worlds. Cadet Uhura deals with her ambivalence about Starfleet and anxiety over her family's death on a comet, Imhanit, landing party with Nunian Singh, Kirk, and Spock, while the Enterprise confronts the shepherds of Mihanit. Is that, you, is that how you said? I don't remember. I think they it. said it. Mahanit. Mahanit. Excuse me. Mahanit. Yeah, it's yeah. the name of the comet. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, did you enjoy uh, Uhura getting uh, hazed by Ortegas, uh, Himmer, and Spock? I mean, I didn't really. I don't like the word hazing. Kind of has like a real negative connotation now, dude. All the incidents that result in like you know death, and it's just kind of a yeah. bad thing. And it's so mild, it doesn't really even seem to fit, yeah, what the common sense, like, because even when hazing is non-fatal, like, it's generally, like, pretty cruel pranks, I think is the common understanding of it, and not really very cruel here. Yeah, you're just showing up to, like, a dinner overdressed, it's not that big a deal. <laughs> this yeah, is more like a yeah. prank <laughs> than anything. Yeah, yeah, or good-natured ribbing. Yes. <laughs> and so we also get a uh, tradition established that apparently Enterprise captains have run-ins with Nausicans in their wayward youth. Yeah, th right. This is because didn't Picard get stabbed in the heart by one, like, the next generation? Isn't that yep, the whole yep. thing of tapestry? That's, that's the source of his artificial heart, indeed, indeed. Okay. So, good call <laughs> so, back to them. 
Yeah, yeah, indeed. Do you have thoughts on the size of Pike's Cabin? Uh, I've seen a few people complain about it, but I mean, it it does make for a nice setting. I mean, why wouldn't the captain have a suite? I guess, I mean, Sheridan be, Sheridan would be super annoyed on B5. So. <laughs> yeah, Sheridan would be deeply annoyed and uh, would be wor- uh, worried if he would have to pay rent for this nice yeah. space. <laughs> I mean, I, if you want to be like a super continuity stickler, like obviously Pike's quarters and the cage in Kirk's quarters in the original series are like super small, super Spartan. And so it is a little ridiculous in comparison to that. But on the other hand, I mean, eh, you shouldn't let continuity get in the way of a lot of your choices. And also, like, I, apparently the actor Ansem Mount like wanted to have this big uh, quarters because he felt like one of the things Pike would do and he would like cook for his crew and entertain them. And so he like, he wanted a big space for Pike to do that. So I don't know. It makes sense for Pike's character, at least. Don't worry, Bob. There'll be a tie in novel. They'll explain how, how, how it goes from refitted. A, a large, yes, it's refitted. Don't worry. There'll, there'll be some. <laughs> yes. Her Kirk had to give up his cabin to like orphans or something. I don't know. They'll find it was they'll find something. <laughs> So, um, obviously, Ahura has, you know, a long presence in Star Trek. She's in a lot of the original series. She's in those first six movies. But we never learn much of her uh, backstory. You know, I, we, we don't even, I think, officially get her first name till the, the J.J. movies. Although, you know, it was, I think it was pretty well accepted what her name was in the, in the novels. But uh, so, you know, it's nice to get some backstory for her here about what happened to her parents and her brother. We... I think it was generally understood that she was uh, African, not African-American, but here we get a little bit of clarity that she's Kenyan. And kind of like uh, Hoshi in Enterprise, we find out that, you know, she's kind of a, a linguistic savant. She speaks 37 languages, although it sounds like about 20 of those are uh, Kenyan dialects or Kenyan languages. So, I don't know, it's just really really nice to get some uh, fleshed-outness on Ahura as a character. I don't remember, but did J.J. Trek expand on her backstory other than just having her, like, as a romance for Spock? You know, I don't think so, but I I only saw those movies the once and then, you know, angrily swore to not see them again. So I there well could be stuff that I'm not thinking of. Okay. Yeah, I've seen them all too, but I cannot remember for the life of me if they actually go into her background. I do know some of the comic books do. Uh, I was yeah, reading on Reddit yeah. where there's, like, a specific comic. I think it was, like... The most recent Star Trek series, number 18, I believe, goes, it tells a very similar story about the shuttlecraft that, is, uh, you know, that her parents were on. Huh. I wonder if that's something like that they just came up with or if that's like something that dates back to like older novels and comics that they're incorporating now. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I do appreciate her also not being as much of a kiss-ass uh, meritocrat as it seems like other Starfleet cadets are. You know, she's a little ambivalent about the Starfleet thing, and it also seems like it, most of it, especially the languages part, kind of comes easy for her, but she doesn't, like, you know, she's not, like, conceited or, like, proud of that. She just does it. I don't know. I kind of appreciated that attitude. You would, Bob. You would. <laughs> I do. I do. <laughs> I'll also say that so I don't know that Ethan Peck really nails the sound of Leonard Nimoy's voice as Spock, but man, he really, to me, he really nails the intonation and the rhythm of Nimoy's voice. And like when he's talking on the bridge, that just gives me this hardcore nostalgia twinge, right? Like he sounds so much like Nimoy. 
Yeah, he's great as Spock, and I've been I've been really impressed. I mean, he, I during when during his time on Discovery, you know, I was like I was kind of on the fence about it, but now I'm just kind of like, hey, he, he, he's he's a great Spock. That's good stuff. I was impressed by him on Discovery too, but he was a little bit limited by having to do like the Spock in the insane asylum plot, right? So he's not he's not doing like traditional Nimoy Spock things, whereas here he he very much is, you know. Yeah, he was doing Discovery shit. <laughs> um, I would also say that uh, Pike fake whispering uh, behind his hand to number one about how much he loves his job is very charming. <laughs> yeah, him and number one have a good thing going. Yeah, they're they're really fun. They're really fun, and that's that's been constant since Discovery season two. So I will say the credit sequence grew on me a little bit the second time through. Like I, it's still. It, to me, it's still kind of below, like, next-gen original series DS9 Voyager, but I, it grew on me. Yeah, I skipped it. <laughs> you're, you're so brutal to the credit sequences. Yeah, I just, <laughs> I just skipped right through that. All right, all right, Matt. Should Daddy Pike grow a Sam Kirk mustache? That's the that's the question that all the fans really want to know. No, is this, like, a thing that's coming back? I see more people with mustaches out and about, and it's kind of concerning to me. <laughs> what, what's your problem with the stash, Matt? I don't know, it's just it's so eighties looking. Like I just can't get past. Yeah, you love you love the eighties, dog. Tom yeah, Selleck, no, Bear just don't mustache. No, my 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 question really to you, Bob, is should Sam Kirk be like the new red shirt and just die every week? I mean, it is a kind of interesting thing, given that like I think he dies off screen in that Operation Annihilate episode of the original series, and so like. You know, I don't know if they're going to continue with this, but it kind of gives you the feeling, and maybe Sam Kirk's a bit of an idiot. Maybe he kind of like walked into getting killed by those like brain-eating jellyfish or whatever they were in Operation Annihilate. Yeah, that's what they're. Yeah. Gonna, I don't know. Maybe what they're going for. Speaking of things that that we hope happen uh, every week, I really hope uh, Nurse Chapel gets to gleefully inject people every episode. It's so fun. Yeah, her character is so like fleshed out more in this already. But Matt, her, her she she got a tragic backstory with her fiance in the original <laughs> series. It was it was so meaningful. <laughs> nah, nah. This is this is this is interesting. Nurse Chapel, I'm, I'm excited that she's in this. Yeah, wa- wacky mad scientist Nurse Chapel is best Nurse Chapel. Um, so I know you're annoyed by all the use of spacesuits in New Trek, but I will say I did like how they used these spacesuits, like in the kind of dark setting of Mahanit. I thought it looked pretty cool. Yeah, and I like how the respective positions are represented with the colors on the actual suits. Kind of cool. That each is equipped with a defibrillator. <laughs> Just bring you back to life. <laughs> to uh, take a take another cheap shot, um, I can't help but thinking how much better it is to have Uhura and Spock singing than, say, if this were a Discovery episode and you had Burnham and Tilly singing. Um, Although, even though I took that cheap shot, I will say that that Mirror Universe musical episode that uh, Disco did in Season 3 was actually very fun, and I rather enjoyed it. Well, there's a lot of singing going on in Star Trek lately. I don't, I don't know how I feel about it. I mean, in, in fairness, there always has. Uhura and Spock do... Well, I don't think Spock sings... Maybe he sings in the original series. He definitely plays the Vulcan lyre, and then Uhura sings a couple of times in the original show. Speaking of singing... I watched a movie last night. So whatever that Sandra Bullock movie is with her and Channing Tatum, where they're on like the Lost Island or something, and they're—it's really bad. It, it's on Paramount Plus. Is it new or old? 
Oh, it's brand new because it didn't really last very long at theaters. <laughs> but anyway, Shadows of the Night plays at one point in that show, and I was like, they man, Paramount Plus must have just <laughs> bought out that song and like is running with it. They're like, you got, you got to use the song for the next couple of months. Yeah, yeah, it's like they got to fit it into like four different properties in a three month period. Is it the Lost City? Lost City, yeah. Apparently, it's still playing up here in Seattle. <laughs> well. Yeah, you can watch it free on Paramount Plus, which I don't suggest doing. It's it's not very good. Uh, too bad, too bad. I uh, really did enjoy Uhura's catty line to Spock of "You do a lot of reminding people of deadlines, sir." <laughs> so, how did you feel about the CGI where Ortegas is piloting the Enterprise around um, uh, the comet uh, Mahanit, and Spock is also piloting the Galileo around it? Okay, the Galileo the redesign for the show is awesome because it yeah, still has that look to it. Like it still has that, that some of the '60s elements, you know, with it the way it's uh, shaped, mm-hmm. but with a sleeker design. Yeah, and, yeah, it looks really yeah, good. Yeah, so I, I give him props to that. I will say though that I was a little taken aback by like the Enterprise and everything it was doing when it was CGI. It was it was traveling through the, the comet because it, I think it went on for too long. Um, and I'm just not used to that because in the old school, like TNG and a TOS, you didn't see that many shots of it because they were just using those models. So you couldn't, yeah, you, know, yeah. you know what I mean? Like you saw some of it in JJ Trek, but it was, you know, that is what it is. But with this, it was like I'm just not used to seeing a TV show where the Enterprise is getting that much screen time in such a cool way. <laughs> I guess I in such a, a, a graphically pleasing way. <laughs> yeah, no, that's actually a really good point. I mean, obviously I knew you didn't um you didn't have that many shots of the the original 1701 or the D in those two shows, but I hadn't thought about yeah, it being a little strange to see the 1701 this much. So yeah, that's actually a really good point. Did you have any uh, thoughts on uh, Spock laughing after surviving his uh, devil may care thing on the Galileo? Yeah, it was perfect because of the intonation behind the laugh. Uh you could tell it was forced for the sake of the joke. Like, that, yeah. that that's yeah. the thing I liked about it. Because at first I was like, wait a minute, Spock's laughing. This is lame. But then I was like, wait a minute. No, there's just that slight bit in his voice that makes it sound like he's forcing it. I hate to make yeah. this comparison, but it's kind of like when Sheldon laughs on Big Bang Theory. Ouch. So, Ouch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of, I mean, we're just doing double time uh, plugging for Paramount <laughs> Plus properties today. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. And yeah, we're not doing anything to plug for our corporate overlords at uh, Warner's because they won't put Legion of Superheroes on HBO Max, the, the cheap SOBs. Yeah. <laughs> if you do want to watch the show, guys, you can get it pretty cheap on, uh, if you want Amazon to watch Prime. Legion, Amazon Prime, yeah, is where it's yeah, at. Yeah. And then there are other ways, too. But Amazon Prime, yeah. Um, yeah, I, the Spock laughing, it does also seem uh, like in keeping with his character, like in the cage, like we see him laugh and we see him get like really freaked out when um, the women get transported away in that episode. And so it's like, you know, it seems like Spock is still kind of figuring out his relations to emotions while he's settled on a position once the original series has started. Right. And it's, it's, it's interesting for Spock. They're doing a great job with, with him. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, they're, they're pretty much doing a great job with everybody. Um, uh, a Facebook friend of mine, Carlos, was really pleased with uh, the Ortega scenes, and I, I was really glad that he was really pleased. You know, it's just, 
like again it's just a great model of they're doing a diverse crew and they're developing every member of the diverse crew well uh, we haven't seen that much of himmer so far but i'm sure we will see more of him and it's just yeah you know if only discovery uh and picard could be more like this i agree yeah so do you think they're gonna keep hitting pike's prophecy of his future every episode i kind of thought they would let it drift after the pilot like not you know come back to it at some point but they're they're still pr- hitting it pretty hard in this episode i think it's an ongoing thing we're going to see just at least mentioned once in every episode just to kind of go back so the images that we see at the end of the episode those are of the cadets that he saves right yeah yeah because it's the okay. same names he 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 says earlier in the in the episode okay yeah, he's just yeah. seeing images of these of these kids that he saves okay gotcha yeah and I don't know, I could see that this could get a little tiresome, but they're, in the first two episodes, they've handled it really well. And they did some really interesting things with the writing in this episode, because you have like Pike's foreknowledge just sort of contrasted with Mahanit's foreknowledge of like what it will do, as well as like the little we see of Himmer in the opening scene when he's talking to Ahura. Like we see that Himmer has some precognitive abilities too as an Anar. And so you've got all these kind of different layers of destiny and precognition, and it makes for some very interesting uh, comparisons. And the Anar, going back to that for a second, the Anar from Enterprise, correct? Yeah, yeah, they're a sub, they're an albino subspecies of the Andorians that appear, I think, just in a two-parter in season four of okay. the Enterprise. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. And then I was going to say, I think last week I said that like the conversation that Spock and Pike had about Pike's prophecy kind of reminded me of Sartre where Spock was kind of, you know, telling Pike to be the man he most essentially is. And then the way that the way that Pike was kind of internalizing it is like reminded me kind of like uh, Martin Heidegger's kind of concept of being to de- being towards death. But then here, the way they're playing with it kind of reminds me of a different existentialist philosopher, Nietzsche with like, Nietzsche's, uh, you know, sort of concept of amor fati or like love of your fate. And so, it's, you know, that the challenge that Pike kind of has to get is to, you know, kind of live his live his uh, live his fate, love it, even though it's going to, you know, kill him or not kill him, but, you know, ra- drastically change his life. So I don't know, just a lot of kind of interesting existentialist themes going on in these couple of episodes. Not much thirst, Bob. Let's talk about thirst watch for a second. Yeah, yeah, so we get uh, Spock uh, unintentionally propositioning Chapel for some pain play. That was great. <laughs> so are we going to see like a Spock-Chapel thing, Bob? I don't know. If they actually get a relationship going in a way that kind of makes the original series a little sad, because like Chapel spends the entirety of the original series, it seems like, pining over Spock. Maybe if they keep it just better as a, as a flirtation, that might actually probably be better for Chapel's character. But on the other on the other hand, it does seem like they are going to tease, uh, or they're they're going to show Spock get alienated or estranged from Tupring, although not finally, but you know at least enough that sets up a month time. So if it's going in that direction, it does seem like Spock getting with Chapel is more likely. Yeah, when we in JJ Trek, we saw him get with Uhura. So yeah, although that doesn't seem to be in the cards here, especially with like them really playing up Uhura as like a younger younger than Spock, and Spock, Spock is like a mentor figure. Yeah, Spock as a mentor, I think, is, is, is great. We might also see something between Spock and Nuni and Singh. They they were sort of leaning that way a little bit in the pilot, although not hard at all. So switching over to uh, Legion, though, we have Saturn Girl. 
and there wasn't a ton of like thirst or anything, but I'd have to say she's probably more, there's probably more chemistry between Saturn Girl and Superboy or Superman than anybody else. I, I, I don't know. Set you would give Saturn Girl more chemistry with Superboy this episode rather than Lightning Lad or Timberwolf. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. yeah I feel like Timberwolf. She was just like his. Uh, you know, she he had kidnapped her, so she yeah. was his captive. Well, <laughs> like, I don't know. There, there was that kind of Beauty and the Beast energy going on with Timberwolf, and then with uh, Lightning Lad, uh, it seems like it was all one sided, right? Like right. It, it seemed. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, I would. I guess I would go maybe more with Timberwolf. Although certainly, I think you're right that Superboy more uh, the first episode to my mind. So, who was your uh, character of the week, Matt? Uh, I'll give it to Timberwolf. It was a fun little kind of origin story, learning about him. And I do like that in this series, if, you know, they meet somebody, there's a good chance they're going to actually join their team. Whereas, like, you know, in the X-Men 92 <laughs> show, it doesn't happen. So, I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, and if you want to see our thoughts on uh, X-Men 92 versus Young Justice, because we keep referencing X-Men, uh, check us out on Patreon. It's Matt and Bob, Uncanny Trex. You can get all our X-Men 92 versus Young Justice coverage there. Yeah, for my character of the week, I would go Uhura. You know, I've, I've said, and I will say many times, I don't love prequels, but Uhura's a great candidate for a prequel because... She was so underdeveloped on the original series, and so there's just a lot you can do with her, right? And I am, um, so I, I I really liked what they were doing with her this episode. It was quite fun. What was your episode of the week, Matt? I want to go with Children of the Comet with Strange New Worlds, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I same for me, same for me. Kind of like with X Men versus Young Justice, I kind of feel like we're just gonna go Strange New Worlds, <laughs> pretty much. Most. I mean, times. unless there's some crazy episode of this Legion series that just blows out of the water, it probably will be Strange New Worlds, and or unless Strange New Worlds just completely screws up somewhere and. Yeah, yeah. It does it's, some terrible episode. It's been a few years since I've watched the Legion show, but my memory of it is that it's like. It's solid throughout. It's about this good throughout, but I don't think it like I don't think it gets much higher than this episode, if that makes sense. All right. And at some point, we're gonna have to do we're gonna have to do like a retrospective comparison between Legion and Young Justice. Oh yeah, sure, 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 sure. A lot of really crazy comparisons there. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, this has been um, the Galaxy's Most Retro Futuristic Podcast. That's uh, Legion of Superheroes versus Star Trek Strange New Worlds. I am Bob in Cascadia. That is Matt in the Southland. We are part of Uncanny Treks. We'll be doing this for eight more weeks, and then we'll be back on course with Babylon 5 versus uh, Star Trek DS9. We hope everybody stays with us. Have a great night. Thanks for listening. <laughs>